Well, 22 years and 44 days ago, I know where I was. Do you? Some of you weren't born. 22 years, 44 days ago, I proposed marriage to Tennille. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, but I thought she was only 28. (laughs) Right? (laughs) 22 years ago, 44 days ago, I got my romance on and decided to reenact our very first date, took her out to the same Greek restaurant that we had gone to. I I put on the same shirt. I I put on the same black beret that I was wearing at the time, the long hair. It was the 90s. And uh, and so uh, I went out to this restaurant, and we had, I think I probably tried to order the same food. um, And uh, and then toward the end of the meal, um, uh, Stelios, the uh, host, brought out this bowl full of rose petals and and Tennille dug through the rose petals, and in, in there was a ring. And when she discovered the ring, I got down on one knee in front of the whole restaurant and asked her to marry me, and thank God she said yes. And the whole restaurant, I kid you not, it was like a movie scene. The whole restaurant erupted in clapping and cheering. It was, it was beautiful. And, and then afterwards, to her surprise, I mean, I guess that might have been surprising too, but to her surprise, we went over to my mom and dad's to show them the ring, but in reality, uh, a bunch of friends and family there, even Marvin Darling had come up from here to there in January, dedication, uh, and uh, to celebrate uh, the engagement party 22 years and 44 days ago. Woo! So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so... It wasn't, as far as proposals go, it wasn't terribly risky. I mean, I, I knew she'd say yes, and, you know, I didn't do anything wild and crazy. I wasn't jumping out of an airplane or anything. I, I tell you one thing, I was doing nothing like, like this next guy. Enjoy this somewhat more risky uh, wedding proposal. Oh, totally, dude. Good man. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, quick announcement, if I may. My beautiful girlfriend, Brooke, and I have been together for a while now. Four years, baby. Four, who's counting, right? It's, uh... <laughs> I think it's about time I ask her a very important question. Bobby the ring. Oh my god! Oh. <laughs> oh my god. No way! Okay, how many would have said no at that point? Would have, after saying yes, bludgeoned him. That was a risky wedding proposal. I, uh, you know, not too many of us can boast that. But today, as we dive into our series in Ruth, we're getting toward the end. We are going to witness one of the oddest even riskiest marriage proposals ever, ever. Because everything that would have normally been done, everything that would have been standard practice has just been flipped on its head. And as we hear the story today, I want to see if you can identify what some of the weird elements are, the strange things that, that you notice. We're going to jump straight into Ruth chapter 3. There's an insert in your program that you can pull out and follow along, or on your phones, maybe a version app, or even tucked away in the seat. There are a few Bibles. You might have brought one of your own. We're going to dive right into Ruth Ruth chapter 3. Here it is. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. 
Okay, do we remember where, the, where we're at in the story? Maybe you haven't been here as much lately and, and you've just stepped into this series. Let me give you a little recap, but for all of us to remind us of what's going on. So Naomi is a mother-in-law and yet she wants her daughter-in-law to get married. Why? Because all of their husbands are dead. Naomi's husband is dead. Her two sons who had married two foreign daughter-in-laws, they are dead. And faced with the ruin, the devastation of the family, didn't have any kids, they, that was the end. Um, Naomi and Ruth had come back to Bethlehem, Naomi's hometown, and they had they had been settling into life there. And as we discovered, Ruth had gone faithfully out into the fields each day to glean barley and then wheat to set aside enough for the future so that they would be able to eat through the winter. But Naomi's looking at her daughter-in-law, Ruth, and thinking, I've got to do something for her. Maybe Naomi herself was elderly. She's looking to the future. She, she needs to do something for Ruth to provide security for her. And so she begins to set out a plan. Let's keep going. Now, Boaz, this is uh, Naomi speaking. Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash. Put on perfume. Get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, take note of the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor. She did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking, was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Dun, 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 dun. Now, Naomi's plan here is to provide a safety net for Ruth. In that culture, in that time, marriage was one of the primary safety nets for women, for kids. And so a plan for this proposal has been hatched. Now, even though we haven't gotten into the actual proposal itself, I'd love to hear from you. What have you noticed so far, just in what we've read, that's weird about this plan? Go ahead, throw it out. What's weird? Everything's weird. Okay, can you be more specific, Val? Okay, others... Uncovering his feet. She is going to him. So we have a woman initiating this, or specifically a woman is going to ask a man for marriage. Yeah, what else? Yeah, it's a relative. And that seems to be a positive thing. Yes, times have changed. What else? <laughs> The daughter-in-law is going to do whatever the mother-in-law says. Thank you, Ken. I will not comment any further. Uh, Other weird elements of this story. Yeah. Yeah, whoops. He's sleeping outside because uh, they would have been in the threshing threshing season, and um, that was just handy, I guess. Also to protect the grain. That would be the other reason he's, he's there, is to provide protection, nighttime protection for his, his assets. Yep. Other thoughts? What, what's weird about this? 
Yeah, why all the secrecy? It's strange, right? So you're like, it's pitch black out there. And she's told by Naomi, like, take note of where he's lying at night because you don't want to uncover the wrong guy's feet. You never want to uncover the wrong guy's feet, right? And we got a whole heap of trouble. So, yeah, take note of where he's lying, then go over there in the middle of the night, uncover. It's just a strange business. Secrecy, darkness, woo. Another one comment in the early service which reminded me I should highlight this. You know, wash. I love that. Wash, please. Get uh, per, 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 perfume on and, and get dressed in your, your best clothes, the NIV says. Probably just means your, your, your normal clothes. Um, it, it, it sometimes has been read as a, as a seductive thing. Like she's putting on almost like the goods of someone who's trying to seduce another. I, I think the scholarship runs the opposite direction, actually. I think what Naomi's saying is time to put off your, your widow clothing. It's time, to, it's time for you to kind of get back to normal, normal dress, normal wear. And, 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 and that would signal, certainly to Boaz, at least once the light dawned, um, that, that uh, she, was, she was ready to move now into a new season of life. She was, she was no longer whatever signaled that she was in mourning as a widow. She's putting that to the side and now is, is, uh, is available in that sense. What, anything else weird? I mean, we can just name some of the obvious ones. We've named uh, a woman is asking a, a man, but also all of the social oddities that we've noted already in the series, like she is young. He calls her twice in the following passage, my daughter. And that's not a joke. She's young, young. So young woman asking older man, a, a very poor woman, a woman who's impoverished asking a, a wealthy landowner. These people are on opposite social uh, spheres, and we've talked about that before. Um, even the fact that it's all women initiating, not only behind the scenes, Ruth's action, and Boaz has to react and respond to what's happening as they initiate. There's a lot of stuff going on here that is upside down. Normally in that time, it would have been um, not only men proposing marriage, but a man um, whether it was a husband or brother, okay, you wouldn't have a husband doing it, but a father or a brother or an uncle or even a family friend who would have been doing the negotiation uh, for marriage, but, but none of those are available. And so here we have women acting boldly um, uh, to, to, to move this forward. But let's get to the actual proposal, okay? So Boaz wakes up shivering because someone has stolen the covers. I think it's premonition for many nights to come. But anyway, uh, it's dark. He's disoriented. I mean, uh, we read, who are you, he asked. But I, I think it's more like, who are you? Who are you? I mean, it's more like that, right? It's dark. It's the middle of the night. He's waking out of his sleep with cold feet. And then he hears at the end of his feet, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Friends, this is actually where Ruth throws caution completely to the wind, and she risks her entire future to be faithful. But because what she does here is couched in ancient custom and obscure laws, it's very easy for us to miss what she's actually done. You see, Naomi has sent Ruth out to propose marriage to Boaz so that Ruth's future will be secure. And while Ruth does ask Boaz to marry her here, she actually does something Naomi didn't intend. She makes her marriage to Boaz conditional upon something that's far more difficult. 
When Ruth says, spread the corner of your garment over me, she is using familiar language referring to marriage. She, this alludes to a, a same idea that Boaz had referred to earlier in the story about Yahweh spreading his wings over. He used the same language where she's talking to him. But it was a customary way of saying uh, to, to take someone as their wife. Or she's saying, have me as your wife. And this garment symbolized their, their oneness and their, and, their, and their connection. But Ruth doesn't stop there. Because Ruth, as we have seen throughout this story, is never content just to secure her own future, just to secure her own benefit. She's never content with that. She had vowed already to stick to Naomi, no matter what, way back at the beginning of the story. We hear these words. Remember her promise? Remember what she said to Naomi when she was leaving Moab? She said, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, she said, if even death separates you from me. It's this incredible vow of covenant faithfulness. And from that day forward, every action Ruth has taken has been in the fulfillment of that vow. And that night on the threshing floor, during this really odd marriage proposal, in the dark, in the middle of the night, Ruth could have just left it there. She, she could have just done what Naomi had sent her to do. She could have, she could have said, hey, would you marry me? And, and surely that would have resu- wouldn't have resulted in Naomi going hungry or something. I mean, we've seen the character of these people. We, we can see uh, Ruth's commitment to, to her mother-in-law. Of course, they would have continued to care for her. But Ruth isn't just going for personal security. She's actually, she's actually going for the salvation of her whole family of the whole family line, the thing that's been devastated and ruined and thrown into question from the very beginning of the story, Ruth has set out to save it. And so she goes for broke, and she asks Boaz to rescue Naomi's whole family by marrying her, by having a child with her who would then actually be like the child of her dead husband and inherit all of her dead husband's assets and land. And do it so, do so in his name. That's what she's actually saying when she adds this obscure line, since you are a guardian redeemer of her family. And this is an enormous risk on her part. In order for us to see it, though, we've got to explain a few more strange customs during this time period because both of them are wrapped up in this risky marriage proposal, or rather you could begin to say this family rescue plan that Ruth has in mind. First, something we've already heard introduced in the story, it's the role of the guardian redeemer. Guardian redeemers were like ancient fallback relatives, and they were primarily concerned with the preservation of family land. They were legally responsible to protect family assets, particularly when there's been difficulty or death. They could step in and act on behalf of the family, and their goal was to keep ancestral land from passing out of their clan or out of their tribe and into somebody else's hands. They would step in to protect that was inherited land, that was land that God had given them, and they had to keep it in the family. We've already heard this mentioned because Boaz is one of these guardian redeemers for Naomi and Elimelech's family. They would act to preserve family land. Sometimes they would act uh, in issues of of justice. Um, But this is crucial to understand. Guardian redeemers had no responsibility whatsoever with preserving 
the family line. Land? Yes. Line? No. They were only concerned with assets, with, with provision. But marrying a dead man's widow so your kid can actually be their kid and inherit in their name, I mean, n- nothing to do with guardian redeemers. For that, you had to look for another really obscure law. The second law is even more strange, and here's, here's the, the key point. It doesn't apply to Boaz in the slightest. There's no relevance to him whatsoever. It's called the Leverite Law, Deuteronomy 25, if you want to look it up. And this law was all about the preservation of the family line, kids, descendants. In its original context, this law outlined a brother's responsibility. Get this. I know it's weird. I know this stretches us culturally here, but get this. Two brothers are married. One brother dies, but they haven't had any kids yet. The other brother was responsible to marry his sister-in-law and try to have a kid. And the idea was that the first kid, usually son, probably son, that was born would be like the dead guy's kid and would then have the dead guy's kid's name. It would be like in all the chronicles and all the annals, it would be like that guy's kid. And he then grew up as that guy's son and and inherited his father's land and, and his father's assets and it would carry on. And so this brother would step into the place of his dead brother and fulfill that responsibility again for the preservation of the family line. I know it's weird. But do you understand basically the, the deal here? How many of you think you live in 2018 right now? Yes, you are. Okay, so it applied to brothers. And yet, in some really odd way, Ruth is asking Boaz, who is at best a cousin of her father-in-law. So we're talking several rungs out on the family tree. She's asking Boaz to step into the place of a brother and marry her so that their first kid together could be a grandson of Elimelech and could then preserve the family line, inheriting all the family land that goes with it. Two different laws. Only one applies to Boaz, sort of. We find out that he's not even the closest one in. But the other one doesn't apply to him at all. Do we got that? I know it's a bit convoluted. We will get to a point here. Ruth doesn't just ask Boaz to marry her. That was super simple. He, she could have appealed to his, to his character, to his, to his good graces, and said, look, man, would you just marry us so that we'll be protected? She could have done that, you know. He would have said probably, yeah, I'll do that, I'll, whatever, I'll step in, I'll take care. There would have been a safety net provided for her and certainly for Naomi. They wouldn't have just tossed her out in the street. But Ruth won't do that. Won't just ask him to marry her as a widow. He's asking her, him to marry her as a brother would to fulfill that obligation. She doesn't just seek her own security. She asks Boaz to step up and to risk his own assets because that's what was going on here. We're going to find out next week. It's the reason why the guy who was asked, the closer in guy, rejects the offer because it would risk his own inheritance. It would risk his own assets. She asks Boaz to step in, risk his own assets, even risk his own reputation, act like a brother of a dead husband that wasn't his brother, and in so doing, not only provide security for Ruth and Naomi, that would have done that, but to actually preserve a whole family line from inevitable extinction. What was the risk she was taking here? Well, she could have risked the simple security of of marriage. She could have, Boaz could have said, look, you're asking way too much here. He could have just walked away. He could have cried foul. He could have said, 
you know, you're, you're, you're conjuring up some weird law. You're a foreigner. What do you know about our laws? Well, you can't, they, they don't make sense. They don't apply to me. He could have walked away from that with a clean conscience and said, those things are not even relevant to me. Why are you talking to me about that? He could have assumed that, you know, she was being presumptuous or, or brazen. Could have shooed her away. Or, as we pointed out last week, he might have even interpreted her midnight presence in the dark as some sort of invitation. He could have sexually exploited her, enjoyed her in the meanwhile, and then sent her away. But what does he do? Well, nothing of that sort, of course. We've seen the character of Boaz so far. We've seen his incredible respect for her and the way that he's always lifting up her dignity. But here he shines like never before. Listen to his response in in, in 10 to 13. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You've not run after the younger man, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. Boaz is being challenged to become something he never would have dreamed of becoming. The husband of of another dead man's wife, the father of another dead man's kid, even though it would be his kid but not his kid. That's confusing. The protector, the rescuer of a whole other family of whom all the male relatives are dead. He's being asked to lay down his own life not just for one person, but for a whole family. He's been asked to marry Ruth, yes, but to do it for the sake of a much larger love, a much larger covenant, a much bigger commitment, for the sake of saving an entire family. And he sees Ruth's risky ask for what it is. And he calls it what it is. He says that loving kindness, just greater than anything you've you've shown so far. And he uses that same Hebrew word that I've been trying to highlight through the story, that word that represents a lot of English words. We can't capture it really well in in just the word kindness. It, It represents the kind of risky, sacrificial, put others ahead of yourself and go for broke without ever quitting, that kind of love. And Boaz sees that in what Ruth is doing. She sees how she's, she's moving something ahead that's, that's way beyond her own security, way beyond her own scope. She, she sees her plan. And then Boaz responds by submitting to this plan, her plan of rescue. And together, Ruth and Boaz will do something that's so amazing, so self-sacrificing, so beautiful. These two, you could almost say outsiders, who are partnering together for the sake of this family, the sake of... Of many. Well, let's just finish up today's story and then we'll come to the point for us. So Ruth lay at his feet until morning, uh, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He's protecting her dignity, her reputation, and frankly, his own. It's above board. He also said, bring to the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? It must have been a long night for her. Eh? Uh, then Ruth told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed, or another translation would say, without a gift. And it might even be alluding to uh, a little bit of a 
down payment on a dowry. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Now, I know there's a lot to wade through for us today. A lot of cultural oddities and strange laws, all in a setting that is very foreign in a time that is far removed from us. But when you sift through this whole story, a powerful, life-changing truth breaks through. Right at the moment when Ruth could have solved all of her problems, right at the moment when she could have settled for good the question of her future security, right at that moment, she risks all of that for the sake of a larger vision. She takes an enormous gamble, risking her own security, her own life, for something that she believed was greater. But this is just so Ruth, isn't it? Everything we've seen so far is very consistent with who she is. Ruth takes huge risks to rescue others, in particular her mother-in-law, Naomi. We've seen this twice in her life so far. Each time she's done it, it has marked a, a, a shift, a, a shift in her trajectory where God has taken her to a new place and done new things with her. Think of her first big risk. I already alluded to it. We talked about it. That moment on the road when she chose not to return home. The moment where she could have done the sensible thing. Her mother-in-law saying, look, you know, your, your only chance for a future is to return to your mother's house and find another husband. And in that culture, that was just true. And so she says, like, go, go with what, what makes sense. And the one daughter-in-law, Orpah, not being selfish, she did what made sense. She did that. But Ruth wouldn't do it. Instead of returning to what would have been a possibility of a future, she actually embraces no guarantee at all. And she commits herself to Naomi. She risks everything to love and serve her mother-in-law. Well, that brought her back with Naomi to Bethlehem. And then Ruth, we find out, goes out into the fields. And on that very first day, she's not content to just gather a few scraps from the ground, but rather goes to the foreman himself and says, hey, I'd like to pick up food with your harvesters. Which could have easily resulted in the guy saying what to her? Get out of the field. You are not welcome here. She risked what would have been some food for the opportunity, the chance. She prayed for God's favor, obviously, and God was present and showed that. But she risks what could have been for a vision of something greater, providing for her mother-in-law in an incredible way. God was favorable, but Ruth was risky. Risky, 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 and all for the sake of saving another. And now, in her greatest act, a risky love yet, Ruth risks her own security to ensure the rescue of an entire family. A family which, don't forget, just a couple generations later, will give birth to King David, the greatest king of Israel. And then, down the line, as the story goes on, leads to the king of all kings, Jesus Christ himself. We're dealing with one of Jesus' great, 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 great grandmas. Ruth's risk, then, we learn, ensured our rescue. That what she did that night, the risk she took, ensured my rescue and yours. You see where this is taking us today? The risks that we take create the circumstances for the rescue God makes. Let me say that one more time. The risks that we are willing to take create the circumstances for the rescue that God is trying to make in other people's lives. 
Just as Ruth's risk created the circumstances for God to actually rescue Elimelech and Naomi's family, brought about the family line of David, God will use the risks that we take for people to affect his rescue of them. And I think this hits us right where we live. Sometimes in epic and big ways, but often in just everyday, every, every you know, uh, kind of normal relationship kind of stuff. Think of the moments you know, strewn throughout our lives on a daily level where we're given an opportunity to do something for our own benefit. Kind of a green light. And I'm not talking about underhanded stuff. I'm talking about good stuff, normal stuff. You know, clean conscience kind of stuff. But then, right at that moment, God calls us to risk even that for the sake of others. Maybe, maybe you had an opportunity at work. Your boss comes to you and, and, and says, hey, I've got an idea and it's going to make your life awesome and it's going to make your work so much more meaningful. But then at that very moment, you choose to risk even that opportunity to ask for maybe more opportunities for other employees as well. Maybe you've been saving for a family holiday, but as Jesus has been working your heart, you, you feel like, let's make this family holiday into something where we're able to learn something significant. We're able to explore maybe a particular issue that's close to God's heart. Clean water, human trafficking, uh, education of women and girls, environmental conservation. And you think, what's the risk I'm taking here? Will the kids hate me forever? Will the kids be happy? Well, that's a risk you might want to take. Maybe someone that you've been wanting to impress, someone that you, you, you really like them and they, they seem super cool and you, you want to get close to them. They make a demeaning joke about a female colleague. But rather than keeping it quiet, you speak up, you break the silence, you create all kinds of awkward in the situation. You even risk your future relationship with this person because you stand up and say, that's not right. You do it for them. You do it for others, but you take a risk. Been invited to join a group of cool school friends at lunch. It's a group that everyone kind of wants to hang out with because they're awesome. But you risk all that by asking if you could bring someone along who doesn't get included very much. Someone who you know is incredibly lonely. Well, that's risky too. Maybe you've been wrestling with God about your finances, about actually trusting God with your finances. And as you've prayed through that, you've realized that the, actually, the only way I'm going to grow in the, my trust of God and my finances is actually if I take steps of generosity. And so you decide to make a risky commitment to give more generously than you've ever done before, believing that somehow, in some mysterious way, God will bless that and use that even to reach more people for himself as you take that risk. You've been growing in friendship with a neighbor. And things are great. You love this neighbor. Are you willing to risk what's there? Because you believe and know and trust that their eternal destiny is more important than just a cozy relationship? Are you willing to risk that because you believe that it's time to introduce a real conversation about who Jesus is? It's a risk. But you do it for their sake. You know, for me, when I evaluate, I think some of the biggest risks I take, both personally but as a pastor, can be summarized in a verse. Speaking the truth in love. Do you want to know how much people love it when I speak the truth in love to them? Oh, ask yourself, how much do you love it? I tell you, for me, 
I love it when people like me. Do you know that? I really do. God keeps me awake at night when someone's mad at me. And so some of the hardest things I have to do after praying about it, um, searching my own heart, approaching with grace and love, but speaking truth to someone, that, that for me feels very risky. When there's something going on in someone's life or relationships, when there's a hardness of heart or a character issue or, or, or just something that that's just needs to be challenged, out of love, speaking truth, people leave the church over that kind of stuff. Do you know that? They do. Let me assure you they do. In the 22 years I've been a pastor, I've seen lots of that because speaking the truth in love is hard. It's hard for me and it's hard to receive. But when we do that, we risk we risk something. I know we're risking something, but, but when we catch a vision for what God wants to do in people's lives and through their lives, in their families and through, in their work relationships and, 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 and the ways that, that God wants to bring newness and freshness and forgiveness and reconciliation to their lives and, in ways that are beyond their imagination, then I have to stand up and risk it, right? Which is why my prayer nowadays is for courage because that's mostly what I need when it comes to speaking the truth in love. Day in and day out, sometimes when there's a lot on the line, sometimes when it's just normal stuff, we can choose to act only for our own benefit. Or, at certain times, God is going to call us to risk it all. He's going to call us to risk it all for the sake of his larger vision for people's lives. We can be inspired by Ruth's example and risk it all for something bigger than us. When I look at the life of Jesus, when I hear him, watch him, listen to him, calling people to follow him, isn't that exactly what he was doing? He was always going to people's lives and saying, yeah, that's all great. Like, I understand. You're, fish, you're an awesome fisherman. You know, that's great. Super. But how about coming and fishing for people instead? When, when he called people to follow him and, and they, would, they would come up with various excuses like, oh, I need to go and bury my parents, which is their way of saying, oh, I need to go and fulfill all my family obligations first, then I'll follow you. Jesus says, go, come on, let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me. When people are, are, are wanting to follow him but not understanding what he's up to, he, he would say, look, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. You're going to have to risk it all. But I want to do something through you and I am doing something in the world that is beyond anything we could imagine. Would you come and follow me? And Jesus, you said, what will it profit you if you spend your life gaining the whole world? But in the end, you lose your own soul. Like, what, will the, what a tragedy that would be. And so we realize that even as he calls us to risk, he's doing it for our sakes as well as for the people that he wants to affect through us. This is Jesus. And every day I believe, sometimes in tiny ways, Sometimes in big ways, Jesus is asking us to go there. He's asking us to take that risk, to follow that path, to lay our lives down or to lay our preferences down or to lay our comfort down or to lay our safety down or to lay some of our money down or to speak the truth in love. So lay some of our, you know, um, fear down to do that for the sake of what he wants to do in people's lives. Because when we do that, when we take that risk, there is absolutely no saying what God will do. I mean, if you can take a weird marriage proposal like this, set thousands of years ago, and set into motion not only the salvation of a single family, but the salvation of the whole world, what's he able to do now? Now that we know the full story of what Jesus has done, now that the Holy Spirit has been poured out and sent us unto mission, imagine what he can do through us. What he was doing through Ruth was far greater than she could ever have imagined or conceived. She, she, she didn't even know about David, let alone Jesus. I think the same is also true for us. 
God wants to do through us, things that are beyond our imagination, even beyond our lifetime. Hard for us to grasp. The reality is the decisions we make today, the risks we take today could literally affect people that won't be born for 100 years. It's a stunning thought, but God is that big. So let's move right to the point. Where is God asking you to risk on behalf of someone else? Where is it? That's the question. Could be with a work partner. Could be with a spouse. Could be a friend or a neighbor. Could be someone that's here today that God has asked you to take a risk for. Could be someone that you've forgotten about, someone far, far away. But what is going on in your life today, even this week, where you could pursue a course of action. You could do things that are good as far as that goes. You, could, you can continue to pad your own pocket and seek your own comfort and do the thing that everyone says is great to do. But right at this moment, the voice of Jesus speaking through the example in the story of Ruth is saying, but would you be willing to risk that? Would you be willing to give that up? Would you be willing to throw all caution to the wind? for the sake of something greater. Here's the prayer that, that I, I'd love us to ask. Jesus, what is the, the risk-taking, faith-requiring sacrifice that you're calling me to make? That if it worked, like if this thing actually happened, if this person actually dealt with the anger that's in their lives, if this person actually began to, to change the way they're treating their children, if this person actually began to catch a vision for what God wants to do in the world, if this person would begin to, to see that God loves them, if that thing actually happened, it would fundamentally change the destiny of their lives and potentially the lives of many, many others. Lord Jesus, what is that? What is it? Is it an invitation that I need to give? Is it a gift that I need to offer? Is it, is it truth that I need to speak or forgiveness I need to pursue? Is it some kind of reconciliation I need, to, I need to make sure happens? What is it that we would pray this prayer with an openness to hear what the voice of the Spirit is saying to us? Knowing that it is a risk. There is an aspect of this that says, hey, you know, this might not work, but if it did, if it did, it would change everything. If it did, Lord Jesus, I can't imagine the kind of trajectory that would create for that family, for that person, for that man, for that woman. And so we have to trust even as we risk. Because here's what I know. God will use our risks today to bring about the rescue of others in the future. Why can I say that with such confidence? Because God is faithful. That's what he's like. He's always pursuing his will for people's lives. He is absolutely unstoppable. And when he calls his people, you and I, to risk like he risks, to give it all up like he does, to throw caution to the wind and pursue with relentless passion what he wants to do in others' lives, we will find that he is trustworthy to do something beyond our imagination. You and I have no idea how God will use our risks to rescue others, but we can be absolutely positive that he will. So first, I want to ask you, as you sat here today and I pray have been listening, who needs you to risk for them? Maybe there's a name. Maybe there's a person. Maybe there's a family. Maybe there's a neighbor. I don't know. But who is it that God is saying, I need you to risk for them? I don't know what it will be for you, and I, that really is between you and, and God as you ask him, but who is it? Who is it? And, and I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you right now that, 
Maybe you have with clarity that name, that person, that family. Maybe you don't. I want to pray that you would be open to what the Spirit is saying to you. Let me pray for you right now. Lord Jesus, you risked everything for us. And then you called us to follow you in that kind of risky mission. Lord Jesus, today I pray. I pray for those who have clarity right now. Those who know the name, the person, the situation, the relationship where you are calling us to risk. Calling us to speak, calling us to invite, calling us to step in, calling us to give up or change the behavior or attitude or habit or whatever it is. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give courage and insight to those who have clarity even now. And for those of us who have heard this message today and we're not really sure, first of all, we're not even sure we're ready to take that kind of risk. I pray, Lord, you would increase our trust in you. You would challenge us in areas where we are resistant. And that you would grow our hearts for what you want to do in people's lives, even beyond our imagination and the lives of generations to come. And in that, Lord, that we be willing to step into this risk, to become people like Ruth, willing to give up, willing to risk personal benefit for the sake of others' salvation, for the sake of others' lives and hearts and families and future. I pray that would be true of us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. But I also want to speak, not just to those of us who have a sense of who God is calling us to risk on, but I also know that, well, I want to ask the question, actually, is who's here today who it's time for you to respond to the greatest risk of all taken for you by Jesus. We've been traveling, maybe some of you have been traveling for a while with Erickson Covenant Church and exploring who Jesus is. We're really keen on creating an environment here at the church where you can explore those questions. But it could be today is the day where you decide, you know what, I've been listening long enough, I've been hearing the stories long enough, and it's time for me to take a step after Jesus. It's time for me to say I'm going to follow him. Maybe you want to be baptized at Easter. We've got baptisms coming up. Maybe you're just taking that next big step in your journey after Jesus, where you're saying, Jesus, you risked it all. You were the perfect son of God, became a human being, lived a perfect life for me. And through your teaching and through your example and ultimately through your death and your resurrection, you did that for me. You took all that risk for me. And you invited us to follow you. And today is the day for you to say yes to Jesus. And so I want to actually ask that you bow your heads, close your eyes again. And if you're here today and you're ready to take that, you're ready to say yes to Jesus, risk on your behalf. You're ready to say yes to what he has done for you. You just give me a wave right now and I will pray for you. And then I want to talk to you afterwards. So if there's anyone here today, this is the day for you to decide, I want to follow Jesus. I'm going to take a step. I'm going to receive from him his risk, his sacrifice, his rescue on my behalf. I want to pray for you. Go ahead and give me a wave. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, your rescue of us is amazing. It's stunning that you would call us to follow you, that you would call us to embrace all that you've done for us. And then somehow, Lord, in that, call to follow you you invite us to do what you did to show others your love i'm going to pray for those who are here today who are ready to take that next step after you 
that you would inspire them and challenge them, encourage them, reveal your love to them, that they would receive from you all that you have for them and join your mission in revealing that to others. I pray that we as a church would be given to risk, (laughs) to do things that are risky for the sake of those far away from you, sake of those deeply lost, broken, hurting. We'd be willing to risk as a church, as your people, for the sake of the vision you have for the world. Thank you for loving us. In our time together today, Lord, may we leave today your words echoing in our ears. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good to have you here today. Go in grace and hope you can join us for coffee time. God bless.